are listening to the Issues on Appeal podcast, focusing on timely and timeless issues of appellate practice and professionalism. Here is your host, Dwayne Dyker. Thanks for joining me for episode 63, the founding of the appellate practice section. This show is again sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. More about CSBA later in the show. In this episode, I'm joined by appellate specialist and law professor Tony Musto to discuss the founding of the appellate practice section in its earliest days. This episode is part of the section's oral history project to celebrate its 30th anniversary. The goal of the project is to preserve the section's rich history with interviews of the folks who were actually there. This will be a continuing series and is also available on the section's website. My discussion with Tony Musto is coming up next. In this installment of the APS Oral History Project, I am joined by board-certified appellate specialist and law professor Tony Musto. Tony was instrumental in the early history of the section and served as the second chair in the 1995 to 1996 bar year. Tony, thanks for joining me to help preserve some of the section's history uh, by talking with the folks who are actually there. I'm happy to be here, Dwayne. So, Tony, how involved were you in the early discussions to form the appellate practice section, which I think, I'm guessing, based on some of the things I've seen on the website, 92 or maybe in the 93? It probably started in 92. I don't remember specifically. We did get, uh, we did become a section in August of 93. So it probably started in 92. Um, I was not involved in the very, very earliest stages, but very quickly after the word got out that the section was, uh, there was an effort being made to organize the section, I became involved and I was on the original committee that put together the proposal and so on. Do you know who is credited with the idea? Is there is there a person or a group of people who who will claim uh, you know credit for being the spearhead force of this? Well, there may be a lot of people who will claim credit, but I think I think the real credit for the origination of the program uh, of the of the section uh, belongs to Steve Stark and Chris Kersner. Uh, they were at the firm of um, uh, Fowler White in Miami. And uh, Chris had been involved in the Texas bar and was aware of the fact that they had an appellate practice section. And Chris and Steve started talking. And of course, Steve was the partner. Chris was the associate. So Steve did what any partner would do, said, go create a section and make me chair. Um, and I, I kid Steve about this. They both they both worked at it. There's no question about that. And uh, so they really were the ones that started to get the ball rolling. And what they did in one of the factors that you have to do to become a section is you have to have a petition filed where people sign and say, yes, I'm interested in joining this section if it is created so that the Board of Governors knows that there will be a, a particular number, enough money to coming in to support the section. So they started on that process. And of course, being lawyers in a big civil firm, the appellate lawyers they knew were in other big civil firms and primarily in the Miami area. So they reached out and a lot of those firms were statewide. So those people reached out to their counterparts in Tampa, Orlando, Tallahassee, Jacksonville, wherever. And they began to put together a list of people that indicated a, uh, a willingness to be involved. 
but they were still short of the number needed. There was an article, I assume they reached out to the Bar News. There was an article in the Bar News about uh, an appellate practice section um, was in the process of being created, and people who are interested should contact uh, Steve or Chris. Well, I read this, and so did Ben Cuny. And at that time, Ben and I uh, were uh, primarily criminal appellate practitioners. So we were involved in a whole different side of the appellate practice area than uh, Steve and Chris were. So we got in touch with them and we eventually set up a meeting. And I believe it was at one of the Florida bar meetings. I believe it was at the Dolphin Hotel in, uh, in Orlando. I think that was where the annual meeting was. So that was probably... Um, that might have been 92. I'm not sure. But anyway, I, I seem to remember that was where the meeting was. And um, when, when Steve and I talk about this, uh, our, our memories of exactly what happened are a little different. Um, I remember it as something like this. Good afternoon, Mr. Kersner, Mr. Stark. My name is Anthony Musto. This is my good friend, Benedict Cuny. You can call me Tony. You can call him Ben. We, too, labor in the appellate vineyards, and we embrace your idea of an organization that will bring us all together in the spirit of brotherhood and furthering our area of practice. And mm -hmm. Steve remembers it more along the lines of something like this. Hey, you guys, you Stark and Kersner, hey, Musto and Cuny here. You understand something? You want to create a section? We're your new partners. We got a piece of the action. You don't give a piece of the action, Benny here is going to break your kneecaps with a baseball bat. So I'm not sure exactly. Somewhere in the middle, maybe. <laughs> somewhere in the middle. I do know that, you know, Steve and Chris's reaction to uh, criminal appellate lawyers coming in was basically, ew. But they uh, eventually went on and talked to Pat Seitz, who was the president of the bar at the time. And she said, no, you need to be inclusive. And uh, they then embraced us. And it actually worked out quite well. Uh, ben and I became part of the program at that part. We were involved in um, in putting together the bylaws and the proposal and, and all of that. And, uh, and also, it was great because Ben and I had a lot of experience in the bar. We had been involved in other sections and committees and been chairs, whereas Steve and, uh, uh, and Chris were not. So we brought some experience on how to get through the bar processes, and they brought some new ideas that uh, helped us change the old ways somewhat. And uh, it worked very well. We we all got along great. That makes a lot of sense because having done the whole Florida bar thing, I, I know that it is a world unto itself. And, and understanding how the bar works <laughs> and who to talk to and how to get things done is is pretty important. Yes. Did you find, was it relatively easy to get the the signatures that you needed and then to ultimately get the bar approval for the new section? Were they supportive? I think in general, they were supportive. Um, I, I'd say more than in general. I, I would say they were definitely supportive. Um, we did get the uh, the signatures without uh, too much of a problem. I, I think we ended up with somewhere around 300. I'm not sure exactly. And I don't know exactly how many was needed, but that was obviously more than enough. And um, the first approach was to Alan Diamond, who was the president of the bar. He was very supportive of the idea, sent it to uh, the program evaluation committee. They were supportive as well. Um, Pat Seitz became president during this process, and she also 
was uh, was very supportive. And we also had the support of the Supreme Court. Justice Grimes was the liaison to our committee. And uh, he worked with us and, and gave us a lot of uh, a lot of thoughts and a lot of suggestions that were uh, extremely helpful. Um, I should mention the people on the committee, if you don't mind, I'll go through other than the ones you mentioned, um, which would be Chris, Steve, myself, and Ben. In addition to that, there was uh, Stacy Blank, David Davis, Marjorie Gadarian Graham, Steve Goldsmith, Larry Henderson, Cindy Hoffman, Wayne Johnson, uh, Scott Maycar, Chris Ng, Jim Rogers, Jack Shaw, Sharon Stedman, Francine Thomas, George Vaca, and Roy Wasson. So that was the group that uh, that really were the ones that sat down. We put together the proposed bylaws. We put together the petition to be submitted to the Board of Governors. And uh, this was set for uh, before the Board of Governors. Chris, Steve, and I were the ones who went and made the presentation. It was at the Boca Raton Hotel and Club. It was in a, a big meeting room on the first floor of the tower. And we went in, gave the presentation, although Pat Seitz was presiding and she kind of laid it all out. We didn't have to do a whole lot. We were approved unanimously. And the thing I remember most is we walked back into the main hotel and there was a bar there. We went into the bar, sat down, ordered three martinis, which Fowler White paid for, and celebrated. And that was a total of three martinis, not three martinis each. Right. <laughs> so uh, that's uh, that's what we did uh in uh, in doing that. And, and I should mention, um, part of the proposal was to establish the original officers. And uh, those officers were Steve as chair elect, uh, as chair, me as chair elect, Stacy Blank as vice chair, Steve Goldman as secretary, and Cindy Hoffman as treasurer. How did it get to be that Steve was first? Was it his his uh, seniority in this process? Or uh, was there any any sort of discussion? Did you draw straws? Well, he actually uh, hired Ben, and Ben was going to break anybody's kneecaps that wasn't going to agree to Steve being the uh, being the chair. No, I, I think it was a number of things. I think it was uh, primarily the fact that he was really the uh, driving force behind this, uh, coupled with the fact that he was a, a fine appellate lawyer, and uh, so he was uh, he was chosen. And I think I became the chair elect because other than Steve and Chris. I was probably the person that was most involved in the in the process as we went through that. We actually, our initial draft only called for four officers. I think, I don't remember if it was that we didn't have a vice chair or whether we had a secretary treasurer combination. Um, but as it turned out, we had five people interested in serving. So we said, well, let's just create the fifth one. So we either split up secretary and treasurer, which is what I think we did, or we may have added vice chair, but we did it so that all five people that were involved that wanted to be an officer got a chance to be an officer. Hmm. No, that that makes sense. Yeah, and that that whole arrangement has changed a little bit over the years, but but stayed very similar. Yeah, because I think we can do very easily with uh, with four. And um, like I say, that was the reason why the fifth came about. Uh, by the way, one thing that was interesting: we were originally known as the Appellate Practice and Advocacy Section. Steve and Chris had come up with the idea, and I argued that we should be the appellate practice section. Uh, I didn't think that added anything, and I thought that, well, pretty much any section can say an advocacy, you know, and I was outvoted. And then years later, when there was a proposal to shift it back, um, my position was, 
well, you know, I think appellate practice is better, but we've been established this way. This is the way we were known. I, I, I'm a big believer in stare decisis. So let's leave it alone. So at that time, I voted against it. And once again, I was outvoted. So I was outvoted <laughs> both times on the name of the state. You've been on the losing end of that twice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Today's show is sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. If you have a client needing to stay enforcement of a judgment in Florida or any other state or federal court, contact CSBA. Chances are you don't deal with appellate bonds on a daily basis, but when you do, it's important and it's urgent. CSBA has an extensive collection of educational and reference materials on their website, including articles like, How Much Does an Appeal Bond Cost?, or using real estate to secure appeal bonds, and even as a state-by-state -state guide to appeal bond requirements. But if you still have questions or just want to talk to a knowledgeable appellate bond specialist, call CSBA at 877-810-5525. Their contact information is always in the show notes, but I suggest you take an opportunity right now to add their contact information to your own contact list so you're ready the next time your client needs a court bond. CSBA is a national agency that assists with court bonds all over the United States, but has extensive experience in Florida. In addition to being a longtime sponsor of this podcast, CSBA is a premier sponsor of the Florida Bar's Appellate Practice section. The next time your client needs a supersedious bond, please give Court Surety Bond Agency a call. These folks are experts in this area. They'll guide you and your client through the process, giving you one less thing to worry about. What were the meetings like in the early years? How many how many people would show up as sort of active members, and you know, what was the atmosphere of the meetings? We had real good attendance. Now you got to remember these are the days before Zoom, so you either were there to attend or you weren't there to attend. And the people that were selected for the uh, initial executive council were all very interested in this. And it was also a very exciting time because we were doing a whole lot of things. We were establishing everything. We were forming the section and, and that sort of thing. So um, we had very good attendance at the meetings. Now, I would say the, the biggest difference in the meetings, and, and I should back up a little bit here too, because when we put together the bylaws and the proposal, we didn't know when we would be approved. We didn't know for sure if we would be approved, but we felt pretty confident on that. But we could have been approved, you know, depending on the Board of Governors, when they set it on their calendar, when, you know, and that sort of thing at any point. So we were afraid, well, what if we get approved in May and Steve, star Steve is chair for one month and then it's time to change? So we set it up in a way that said uh, the uh, initial chair will be chair for the remainder of the bar year in which the section is approved and one full bar year thereafter. As it turned out, we were approved in August, so Steve ended up serving almost two full terms as chair. So we went pretty much three years with the same leadership pretty much in place because Steve and I, you know, in a lot of senses, we were co-chairs. We really, we really did work well together. So uh, we did have some continuity. But the big difference in the meetings, you asked about the meetings, uh, Steve and I have had at least, and I assume still have, a somewhat different philosophy in running meetings. Steve was very much of the school of let everybody have their, stay, their say, let's go back and forth until really we've talked it all out, let's work together to reach a consensus, 
And that approach takes a while. Um, my approach is more like uh, the benevolent dictatorship approach. Uh, some, some might leave out the word benevolent that have served under me, but in any event, it's more like, okay, let's move on to number seven on the agenda. I think we should approve this. Do I hear any objections? Hearing none, it's approved. Let's move to number eight. And uh, so Steve's meetings tended to take most of the allotted time. I never had a meeting that went more than an hour. But in retrospect, it probably worked out really well because during the first few years, there was really a lot more things that needed to be determined and needed input. And we also needed to get to know each other a little better and so on. And by the time I became in, it was much more uh, doing business and so on. So I think uh, I think we complemented each other in our approach to uh, in our approach to this. Well, it sounds like the section was off to a strong start. It sounds like you were never worried that this thing was going to fizzle and die, right? It was, it was sort of, uh, you know, uh, all a head full from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, we it never occurred to us that it might fizzle and die. We we expected it to flourish. I don't know that we knew it was going to flourish to the extent that it did, but you got to remember this was occurring at a time when we were really transitioning as a profession to appellate specialists. In the past, pretty much your trial attorney did the appeal. And as we were getting into this stage, it was becoming more and more prevalent that there were appellate lawyers coming in and doing the appeals and maybe even helping out at the trial level to preserve error and that sort of thing. Um, appellate certification was on a similar track right about the same time that we were created. And I think it got created shortly after we were created. And so there was really a, a movement towards the uh, the idea of appellate specialization. There were more and more appellate lawyers, and the timing was just perfect for this section to be created. So it, it really, we never even thought about that it might not, uh, it might not succeed. Are there any particularly special memories that you have of those early years? I mean, I know you've been involved for a long time now, uh, but specifically uh, in the early years, are there things that stand out to you as, as great meetings or great events or, or, you know, just great occurrences? Well, yeah, there's so many of them. You know, first and foremost, I think, is uh, on the human level. We just got to know so many people from throughout the state. Um, we got, uh, we grew close to each other. We developed relationships and friendships and that sort of thing. I mean, I still have vivid memories of going in and drinking those martinis after we were approved. The leadership of the section almost always would get together for dinner, uh, at each of the bar meetings the night before the meeting. And that way we were able to kind of coordinate and work on what was going to happen this year and next year and that sort of thing. And uh, but putting aside the the relationships, there were so many things that were coming to pass at that time that we put together. We put together the committee structure. Uh, we established the record. Chris was very involved, and so was Chris Ng. The two Chris's were very involved in the publication aspect of it. Uh, we put out the guide, and and understand. Go back to those days. There there was no internet. The guide was an important thing for appellate practitioners. Here's this. 200 page thing that had everything you needed to know about appellate practice, the appellate rules, the local rules from each district, write-ups about all the judges, um, just so much stuff that was in there. I mean, everybody had it and used it. We put together the first, as I said, certification was just coming into being at that time. 
and we started the appellate certification review course. And I remember I taught at the first couple of them before I went on the appellate certification committee. And I remember one of them was held on Valentine's Day in Orlando, which did not make my wife particularly happy, but uh, she got happier when she came along and we went out to have a nice dinner in Orlando after after it was over. Um, we put together the uh, Supreme Court question and answer session, which was uh, such a wonderful success for, for so many years. And where that came about was that uh, Jerry Kogan was the chief justice then, and I had known him for years uh, back when he was a circuit judge. In fact, he and I taught a, uh, a class together at part of the FIU paralegal program. And so we were talking about it and the court was becoming much more open uh, than it previously had been to uh, interaction with practitioners. And so that's what got that initiated. We created the 11th Circuit Practice uh, Program. The first one was held in Tampa at the Embassy Suites. And uh, Judge Showflat was there. The clerk of the court was there. And I know we later on started partnering with the Georgia Bar and so on. I, I assume Alabama Bar too. I don't know. But at that point, it was something that we were just uh, running on our own. And we, we created uh, we created the Adkins Award, and I know you're going to want to talk about that a little more in, in a few minutes, so I'll, I'll just note that we created it. Um, but also, uh, I think one of the biggest things we did and that I personally feel uh, a great stake in is the uh, establishment of our dessert reception, which has become such a uh, primary event on the bar's uh, calendar every year. We were talking about doing a reception, and the original plans were do a reception when all the receptions are. And I remember saying, you know, we want to do something that makes us stand out. You know, when all those receptions are there, what happens? People just wander from one to another. They stop where they like the food. A lot of times they don't even know what reception they're in and so on. Let's do something different. And a year or two earlier, there had been some candidates for president of the bar who had held dessert receptions in their suites, and that was by invitation only. But I took that idea and I said, what if we do a reception after everything's over, after the receptions, after people have time to have dinner, and then they come and have dessert? And we established that, and it has changed somewhat over the years. It was primarily, it was at that point, after dinner drinks. It was, um, you know, cognacs, it was brandies, it was cordials, it was liqueurs, it was Irish coffee, it was things along those lines. And the desserts were like big pieces of cake and pie and things you would get if you ordered the dessert in a restaurant. And so we've morphed a little bit over the years, I think primarily as our uh, membership has become a lot younger and so on. But it has just become such a an important part of the bar. And I feel uh, I feel very proud of the fact that that was my idea and that it uh, it came to pass. Now we also had in the first several years we had a post dessert reception reception in the chair suite, the midnight reception, and it was open to everybody. But usually, just kind of the core group came there, and we just kind of relaxed and took it easy, and uh, you know, it uh, it was quite quite an interesting, uh, enjoyable time to just kind of, I mean, literally sometimes take off our shoes and sit back and kick back and, and relax. And I remember my year as chair, convention was at the Buena Vista Palace. And I had a suite that was incredible. 
It wasn't in the main building. I didn't even know there was another building until I got this suite. There was another building on the other side of the swimming pool behind the main building. It's maybe four or five stories high. And I had a suite on the top two floors of this building with uh, uh, incredible, uh, had balconies on both sides, perfect view of the fireworks at Disney and so on. Huge. I mean, I've lived in apartments smaller than this, had a full kitchen, a dining room. And that one, just everybody came to that thing. And we were going till two or three in the morning. And in fact, I remember getting up in the morning and finding some guy asleep on one of the chairs on the patios. I had no idea who the guy was. I woke him up and said, you have to go now. And uh, and he left. So uh, I think the midnight reception lasted for a few years until we got a chair who had a spouse and small children. And the spouse said, you are not having 20 or 30 or 40 drunk lawyers come in here at midnight. And I think it kind of morphed into the sort of 5 p.m. Uh, thing that we have uh, followed since then. Uh, either that or it's still going on and I'm not one of the cool kids that gets invited <laughs> to it anymore. I don't, I don't know. Well, it's funny that you say that because I, I'm, I'm proud to report that the, the post-reception, uh, you know, dessert reception reception is still a thing. All right. uh, and in, in 2017, my chair year, I, I recall throwing people out around 3 a.m. because I had to get up for appellate court rules committee the next day. So, <laughs> okay. You know, it's funny in talking to you, I, I, it's amazing how much of the bones, uh, you know, the foundation, just the traditions of the section were established so early in its history. You know, a lot of the things uh, members today, I think, would feel very comfortable and very familiar uh, going back, you know, 30 years uh, because the a lot of the same traditions uh, that we do today were, were founded uh, back then. And that's that's pretty cool. That, that makes it even more uh, special. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I feel uh, very proud to have been involved in laying this foundation because it is such a strong foundation that has existed and, of course, been built on with so many of the newer things that have come about over the uh, ensuing years. So you mentioned you knew I wanted to ask you a little bit about the James C. Adkins Award because that's another one of those foundational you know, things for the section. First Adkins Award was given, I think, in the first year of the section, right? Or very close, 1994. Tell me a little bit about how that first award came to be uh, for uh, James Adkins. Uh, I'll tell you what it was modeled on. Um, I had been involved in the criminal law section. And the criminal law section has an award called the Selling Golden Award. And that is the highest honor that that section presents. And it's given to someone for a career uh, that has been exemplary in the field of criminal law. And so my thinking was we should have a similar award that would be the highest award that we would give for careers uh, and contributions to the field of appellate practice. So we began to put together the criteria for the award. And as we were putting it together uh, and planning to uh, award it at the June Bar Convention, uh, Justice Adkins passed away which made it kind of a no-brainer as far as who we were going to name the award after. And so we did present it that first year, and uh, or the first full year that Steve was chair. And we were at the uh, Marriott World Center, and the reception, the dessert reception where we presented it was out in that open area that where the meeting rooms sort of surround the open area, which was a wonderful place for it. Mrs. Adkins came and, and uh, accepted the award on behalf of her husband posthumously. And uh, so it started from there. The second year, when uh, I presented it at the dessert reception, 
I went to Judge Tom Barktel from the Third uh, DCA, and, um, and and I'll tell you a little a little anecdote about that. When I was presenting the award, I of course talked about his background and all his wonderful qualifications and so on, and then I told a little story, and I'll try to make it relatively brief. But when I was the head of the AG's office a number of years before that. I used to always go out with new attorneys to watch their first couple of arguments to make sure they were doing okay and offer input and, and so on. So we had a lawyer going out for her first ever oral argument, and she was psyched. She was pumped. And this is someone who went on to be a very good lawyer. And she got out there, and of course, with the AG's office, as usual, she was the appellee. The other side didn't show up. She stands up and says, well, I see the other side doesn't go up, so I'll begin to argue. And Phil Hubbard was the chief judge on the panel. He said, ma'am, you understand when the other side's not here, you don't have to argue, which I recognized as code for you've won the case, sit down. Well, she wasn't experienced enough. And she said, that's okay. I need the practice. At which point Judge Barkle said, we don't. So I told that story and then I presented the award. And afterwards, Judge Barkle told me that when I told that story, he was there and his wife was next to him. And his wife said to him, do you remember that? And he said, no. And she said, well, it sounds just like you. So uh, I, got quite a, I got quite a kick out of that. Uh, and of course, uh, Tony, you were a recipient of the Adkins Award, not until 2020. But, you know, I think people view it sometimes as a, a lifetime achievement award. So you don't want to get it too early, I guess, right? <laughs> well, I guess not. But, you know, the, the flip side of that, of course, is a lifetime achievement award is another way of saying you're getting old. But... The way I look at it is I would prefer that to the alternative. So uh, anyway, that was uh, that was uh, an honor that I greatly appreciated. And it's certainly one of the honors that uh, is most important to me that I've received over the years. Tony, as always, there's there's so much to cover. We're going to try to cover as much as we can throughout the course of some episodes with this appellate practice section oral history project. But obviously with any any one episode, we can only scratch the surface, but I really appreciate you sharing some of the earliest years of the section for this project. Well, I'm happy to do so, Duane, and I'm um, proud, like I say, not only of the foundation we laid, but what so many people in the years since then, including yourself, have done to build on that foundation. And I think this, uh, this section is in a wonderful place and will continue to do wonderful things over the years. Thanks, Tony. You're welcome. Remember, podcasts are never legal advice. Nothing that I say or my guests say should ever be interpreted as legal advice for any particular situation. But if you're a lawyer who needs the help of an appellate lawyer, I'm happy to try and help. And please consider using our sponsor, Court Surety Bond Agency, for your client's appellate bond needs. When you need a bond, you often need it quickly. CSBA's contact information is in the show notes. Please take a moment now, add it to your contact so that you're ready when your client needs a supersedious bond. There will be more episodes in the section's history and more of, well, anything else I can think of and want to talk about. Coming soon. I hope you will continue to download and listen. Thank you for considering this week's Issues on Appeal.